Across America and around the world, famous vintners and favorite destinations. We share the stories behind the wines. Welcome to Vintage, hosted by the voice of wine, Brian Bushlack. And continuing our trip to Georgia Lake Country with a visit to Reynolds Lake Oconee. In volume one of our visit, we spent time with Jason Plazola, director of food and beverage, who is the rock star, go-to wine expert in the Southeast. And now it's time to introduce you to the certified master chef who has totally transformed the dining experience at this massive resort. Chef Darren Moore is a Detroit native who honed his style of cuisine in the Chicago area at the legendary Medina Country Club. Then he got the call to run the kitchens at the luxurious Ritz-Carlton in Naples, Florida. That's the home to the number one wine auction in America. We were just there in January. He's consulted the top resorts across America. And then about four years ago, he got the call from Reynolds Lake Oconee and accepted the challenge to take this gorgeous, sprawling resort with a wide variety of tastes to the next level. Little did he know at the time, though, that Chef Darren would be reunited with his old pal from Medina Country Club, Mike Scully, who took over as GM at Reynolds last fall. Mike is well-known and well-liked in the golf and operations side of the business, and I sat down with these guys, Mike leading off with the backstory, and then handing a full plate to Chef Darren and letting him take it from there. We both started at Medina Country Club together on the same day. And I think we're both combined probably about 45, 50 pounds lighter than we were back then. And I think the HR thought, too, the offensive linemen from the Chicago Bears were reporting for work. But, uh, no, it's been great. Darren has national reputation, obviously. And uh, it's been, it was a really neat opportunity for me, obviously, taking this position to, to get to work with him again. So it's a reunion of sorts here. So it's kind of like old home coming back, right? Absolutely. And it's been uh, – we haven't missed a beat, so – we were just sharing some stuff before you came in, and we started the podcast, so it's, uh, it's really good. Darren, when you heard this guy was coming to uh, Reynolds Lake Oconee, were you like telling people, hey, watch out for this guy, or what was, this, what was the story? No, the, 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 actually, the, the funny backstory to that is I was actually unpacking the truck to move into my new home out here, and I got a phone call from uh, our COO, Tim Hong, and says, hey, what do you know about this guy, Mike Scully? And I said, let me put this box down and tell you. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a good thing, and, and, and I hope, uh, you know, that had a little bit of influence in him being here. But, uh, no, it's, uh, it's a great fit, and uh, it's, it's really what the property needed. Now, MasterChef, and you've got, from an artistry standpoint, a, the palette that you have to work with here is pretty amazing. Pretty diverse, for sure probably took me 12 to 18 months to figure out who I was cooking for. Um, you know, I had had a fine dining background coming out of the Culinary Institute in New York for quite a while in Michigan, transferred to clubs and then competing internationally for eight years, and then was recruited out of Medina to go to the Ritz-Carlton in Naples. So the property here at Reynolds operates like a hybrid of all three. And, uh, you know, you have, the, you have the grandkids that you're cooking for at the pool all the way up to your fine dining wine program that we have going on supporting uh, really high-end wine dinners. So the diversity of what's needed here at the club is kind of a hybrid of all three, the fine dining. It is certainly a club 
but we're a community of 35 plus 100 homes. So it operates like a resort. So that's the different thing is, is being able to have all three of those disciplines under my belt really, I think, benefits to navigating through what's needed here for the property. That's what fascinates me hosting this wine show for now 15 years. And, you know, obviously we talk about a lot of wine, but food being such a huge part of that. And I want to I want to circle back to what you just said about Medina to, you know, Ritz-Carlton to Naples. And we were at the Naples wine auction in, in January. And what was it like to go from Medina to Naples? Because, I mean, they're very different. Absolutely very different. And that was, you know, this business, as you know, is just extension of relationships. And I had uh, competed with a few gentlemen on the uh, on the U.S. culinary team and that were in the corporate office at Ritz-Carlton and had known my work over the years. And, you know, I, I very frankly had that conversation at Medina. is like, listen, you're asking me to come in here and supervise 170 cooks and 17 sous chefs and 23 outlets. And I said, you know, the most I've done is one small club or one medium-sized club. And they said, it's, it's, about, it's about the food, it's about the passion, it's about the vision. And really, you know, you're managing 17 sous chefs not the whole army of everybody, but it was a big change for me. And, um, you know, it forced me to learn how to, uh, to delegate, to trust, and just be the visionary for the future. So it was definitely a different role for me. How did you adapt to that? I mean, how, what was that like? Because I mean, if you're used to having control, right. right, And then you, I mean, you really have to trust these guys and gals that are under you. Absolutely. And there was definitely a learning curve there. But I'll tell you, you know, I was so spoiled in Naples when I got down there. Um, those ladies and gentlemen that were running the outlets were executive chefs anywhere else. And that was kind of the thing is people came through there, they'd be polished for a year or two. And then they were off running their own hotels or restaurants. And, and you know, most of that crew are running some of the premier properties in the country right now. So where you may not have been able really Quite honestly, to make a jump from Medina to Reynolds Lake Oconee, that Naples experience had to have been huge. Absolutely, the volume and the navigating through the different outlets, the different concepts, and really just the thinking of you know, what's needed for the diversity of, of the clientele that you're cooking for, the membership that you're cooking for. So I think that, that that maturity and that management and really the positioning of where you need to be and when you need to be there was really important for me to take that step. So when you took this role, what was the first thing you did? Well, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of assessment. I think there's been a lot of change. There's been a lot of change in the food and wine program for sure in the last three and a half, four years. But I think that there's also been a change in the membership. The demographic is, is changing a little bit, which means the demand changes. And I think that that flexibility and maturity of knowing who you're cooking for, both by learning, you know, listening to feedback from, from and being active with the sleeves rolled up in the outlets, talking to the chefs and the front of the house staff, you really get a pulse of what is needed for the community and what the membership is looking for. So, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, it's diverse. So when I came in, I took a look at a lot of different things, certainly the menus. I wanted an experience here for the membership where they didn't have to just go to their community club. They could go to the different outlets and find different experiences. So I, I worked really hard in the first three months to create unique experiences in each one of the clubs or each one of the outlets 
the tavern, which is our really busy place, was was just footings when I showed up in July of 15, and we opened it in October of 15. And that's kind of a hybrid of a couple different restaurants that I've done in the past. But, you know, the diversity of the menus in the different outlets was the first thing that I started to tackle. Okay, and you do that. But you took the grilled cheese off the menu in the tavern. You know, you do things like that, and you, you, you might piss somebody off. How do you deal with that? You know, that was uh, really something because I got a sense that menus really didn't change that often or the, or the complexity of them didn't really change. I mean, we're literally this new menu rollout. There's a brand-new concept at, at Great Waters rolling out uh, tonight, actually. When I leave here, I'm going over there. But, yeah, there's a brand-new concept rolling out. So, we went through that for about the first year where, oh, my favorite's been on the menu for five years, and now it's not there anymore. And I'll tell you, it's funny because we've, we've evolved to a point where it's like, when is the next menu changing? So it really has come like, can we get rid of the old and come in with some more new? And uh, we change three times, a, three times a year in every outlet. So it's, uh, it's not because it's easy, but it's the right thing to do for the property. I think that's the evolution of dining too, right? And, and- you know, you talk about, uh, I, and I had to say that because anybody who's belonged to any club anywhere, you know, the, the menu is the menu, right? So no matter where you are, I'm going to get what I got, and it's been the same for 10 or 15 or 20 years, but now things are changing. And to your point, they have to. I mean, you have to, you have to deliver an exceptional experience at each one of these restaurants with every single meal, because people expect it. It's not okay to go to a resort anymore and go, well, yeah, we're, we're going out to the golf club. So, hey, you know, we're going to have a little club sandwich and, you know, some yeah. stale French fries. It has to be good everywhere, every day. Yeah. yeah, and it's funny because, you know, the membership is excited about the menu change and look forward to it with, with the season. But, you know, the cooks are to the point where it's like as soon as they get comfortable with the menus, chef's changing them again. <laughs> so. You know, there's that, there's that curve too, but yeah, it's a lot of work to do it. But I tell you, you know, I, uh, early on in my career, I, I have something that rings in my head and it's like, Hey, listen, if the membership doesn't like the food, the chef's going, they're not going, the chef's going. So, you know, you, you got to keep it fresh and especially in a community like this where they live here. And I think that was probably the biggest learning curve for me is every one of our membership they travel, they stay in the best hotels, they, they visit the best, you know, they're probably members at some of the best clubs in the country, they travel the world. You know, they expect it, but it's a different way of eating when they live at home. This is their home. So this, our restaurants are really an extension of their home where, hey, if I don't want to cook on Wednesday, where are we going for dinner? So you really have to look at that. There's, there's not a lot of heavy sauces. The food is light. And to be perfectly honest, I'm trying to capture them three, four times a week, whether that's a lunch, dinner, or a breakfast. So, you know, prices are aggressive. Food is ever-changing. We look at portion size. We look at the richness and the health aspect of it. So there's a balance where there's a little bit of everything for everybody here. Walk us and talk us through the different restaurants here because when I talk to Mike and we we talk golf and we talk everything else there is to do here, there's so much to do here. And and the same is true with the dining experience. I mean, it's diversified and there are a lot of options. Right. So, you know, we have uh, where we're sitting today is is the uh, Preserve uh, Clubhouse. And we are at the restaurant is called 88, the year that the clubhouse was built. But uh, we have a Southeast Regional Cuisine, which encompasses a lot of different things. It covers the, you know, the Keys, you know, Florida Cuisine, Southern Cuisine. So we're, we're breakfast and dinner here, and the menu leans towards that. 
This was the original clubhouse here. So there's a lot of memories that were built here before we did a renovation last year. So, you know, we tried to hang on to a little bit of that tradition and heritage. There's a fried oyster dish on here that was on the menu before I even got here that remains to this day. So there's a little bit of loyalty to, to those memories and that were connected with the dining room and the, and, uh, and the place back then. So, you know, this is maybe a little bit more uh, refined dining. Um, it's not uh, casual by any means, but there's a casual approach and a casual feel to the dining room. So we have that. Um, I mentioned the National Tavern. That's a, a small village uh, surrounded by uh, 27 holes of golf, and it's, uh, it's our newest venture. It's a freestanding restaurant. It's not a, a traditional clubhouse per se, but um, I'll tell you, it captures everybody off that golf course and, and most of the other golf courses. So very, very, very busy, high-volume outlet. Kind of a sharing concept, tavern, pub feel to the menu to it, but, but high-volume, fun bar, lively, a lot of music. So, you know, when you look at the evolution of club restaurants, you know, there's that traditional uh, grill room, which became more and more popular than the fine dining rooms. A lot of clubs went away from that. So there's a little bit of a hybrid of everything here, depending on what you want to do for that evening. So you have that. You go across 44 to the landing, and that is, uh, you know, a lot of golf lunches. Um, we do a uh, kind of a couple traditional club things. We do a build-your-own-burger night and a build-your-own-pasta night. But, you know, that's kind of a, more of the family uh, a lot of the younger families live over there, so the menus are geared towards that a little bit. Great Waters, we just did a uh, total renovation of their menu. Uh, the concept that I had in before had kind of run its course over the last three years, so we totally are introducing a, a, a new, exciting, kind of a casual concept, but uh, raw bar in the lobby where they can choose from you know beautifully poached lobster tails and jumbo poached shrimp and raw oysters and tuna poke and just a lot of different things on ice. Members can actually just come up, have it added to their bill, go right to their table and order one oyster if they want to taste the featured oyster of the day. So that's kind of our seafood. It's a beautiful view of the lake. It's a long view of the lake, but um, a little bit more refined dining room, but a very casual, again, approachable menu, which I think fits the trend in what's happening in every big city here. You know, people don't want to put on a jacket and tie and go to dinner anymore. They want to show up in their in their golf attire and be able to have a great meal. So we kind of are addressing those those areas. So and then you know we have a little diamond in the rough. We have the Lake Club. We have a Kathy's Cafe, which you know you'd walk into it and you say, boy, how are they producing anything out of here? It's about the size of a large closet, and we're doing seven hundred to a thousand, you know people and kids and adults around the five different pools that we have so you know that's a little cafe that operates like that so and then we have our platinum only club the creek club which uh, we have very fortunate to have an extremely talented chef with us um, that has a great background and the membership loves him but that's that's a little bit more refined dining but again a balance we have a bar menu there if they want to sit at the bar they can grab a, a quick bite at the bar after golf and square up their their scorecard but so there is quite a bit of diversity and then we have all the halfway houses so the nice thing about the property is that there's enough to do to keep me busy for a while so you know we have we have six six halfway houses slash snack bars and every one we're going to look at you know what is the identity at each one of these snack bars too so you know we just systematically work through the property and and um, try to focus on a great experience for the members but also i know when their families and friends come in 
this is to show off their club, and we want to be able to do that with great food and beverage too. I think it's interesting what you said about, um, you know, I was thinking more along the lines of the uh, transformation of the menus, but the transformation of the lifestyle goes with that. And so many of the clubs around the country, uh, you know, there are these opulent dining areas, right, that a lot of times are emptier. There's not as many people going there as there used to be because you don't want to have to, in some cases, even shower to go have a nice meal, right? So, I mean, you have to, you have to be able to, uh, you know, advance what you're doing conceptually to obviously address that, right? That's right. And, you know, we're also looking, you know, in beautiful Georgia, we're looking at, what, seven, eight months of, of great weather where you can dine outside. And you, I walked in and the dining room this morning is fairly empty, but you look out on the veranda and everybody's outside reading their paper, having breakfast outside. So, you know, we're also addressing those spaces as we go through the club too, is you know, what does the outdoor dining experience look like? So you're right, you know, and, and I think I think approachable menus I think really help with that feel. Most clubs are getting away from those dining rooms where you feel that you shouldn't go after golf or wearing just slacks or whatever. So, you know, we've really relaxed that. And I think a lot of the, lot of the big resorts and, and some of the higher-end places are, are relaxing that as well. Yeah, it's an interesting time. And in terms of the menu itself, I mean, I, I hear stories of, you know, obviously organic this and, you know, farm to table that. And, I mean, you have to address that as well. I mean, obviously living on the West Coast, we get even more of that. But I know that that's prevalent all across the country now, right? Absolutely. You know, and I, um, it's a funny story. I think everybody in the room cringes when somebody brings that up. But, you know, I, 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 never, I never experienced any restaurant that I ever worked in where I didn't produce farm-to-table food. Everything that I've ever done is fresh. Um, the one thing that is great is I'll tell you, the, the, the grounds guys here and the agronomy team, they, are, uh, they put gardens in at every one of the clubs, and we grow all of our own herbs, stuff that makes sense, but all of our own herbs, um, some vegetables, but a lot of the things like lemongrass and things like that, we're growing right here at each club. We have a fig and a bay leaf tree right outside that you can see here that we actually use. And the guys help prune them and keep them going, so we're, they're producing fruit. But we have small gardens at each one of the clubs to produce mostly our own herbs here, just because of the size of this place. We can't do the vegetables. But everything that we've always done is coming locally from farmers and fresh produce companies. And, you know, I'm never the guy to say, I'm just going to buy local when I can buy a better piece of corn from Ohio or from New Jersey. You know, so, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm that guy where we are seeking out everything fresh and really the best product, not just because it's local, but it's the best product. Now, I'm a West Coast guy, a Northwest native, but I absolutely love Chicago, love the city, love everything about it, dated a girl in Chicago for a number of years, and maybe that's why. But what is it about that city that great chefs come from Chicago? I mean, I, I run into... A guy at Tommy Bahama who's a great chef in his own right. And, you know, what is it about that city that there's so many great culinary people? Again, I think, I think it's the diversity. I, I think that, you know, it really is a melting pot of a lot of different cultures. And, and it's really interesting because some of back in the day, you know, there are a lot of French chefs that were very, very good that settled into that city. And, uh, and and had thriving restaurants. But even today, it's such a great restaurant town. But, you know, it's a big city, a lot of people, a lot of diversity, a lot of activity going on. So, you know, that 
you know, food, food and beverage has become the entertainment. Years ago, you used to go to dinner and go to a show. Now you go to the dinner and you sit down for three hours and you look at the entertainment and it's an experience. So, you know, it has been, it has become for the most part, the entertainment for the evening. And we see that in some of our clubs where when the members sit down, that's their table for the evening. We're not running and gunning and trying to turn tables here. It's been interesting to see the uh, transformation in the American wine industry over the past, even the last decade, uh, the emergence of Oregon Pinot Noir, which wasn't even on a wine list in many places, particularly in the southeast, 10 years ago. Now you have people coming from all over the country, and they want that Chardonnay from here or that Pinot Noir from there. So, I mean, you've got to be on your toes with that, too. Absolutely. You know, and it's fun when we go into our development. And Jason will talk a little bit about the Napa Valley program that we have and the connections that he has throughout the country with winemakers that we bring in here to do you know, we're doing wine dinners two, three times a month and um, really high-end stuff and just fantastic wine that we're able to bring that experience. And a lot of times the winemaker or the person running the winery themselves is here for that event. But, um, yeah, Jason and I sit down actually with the samples. They call it research and development. But, yeah, we sit down with, with eight, nine bottles of wine from that winery, and we get the tasting notes, we look at them, we actually taste the wine, and then... I go into menu development. So, you know, we are looking at the soil and the grape varietal and the climate and everything else when we're in what is the characteristic of these wines before we even write the menu. So I know that the members are starting to get used to that. Um, and I'll tell you, these dinners, we max them out at 80 people, and they're selling out within 10, 15 minutes when the, from the time they're launched. What are you? That is, a, that is a sight to see, sitting in with these guys, watching these two creative geniuses go. Uh, Jason, obviously, with the palate of what the fruits are, but then watching Chef tie it to what he's going to design the menu to is just, it's an incredible setting. And that that's my next question is, as a consumer, enjoying the fruits of that labor, right? And, and oftentimes not even really thinking about it. What goes into that process? I mean, it fascinates me to to ask you that, you know, because how do you process that from what you taste in glass to what you pair from a food perspective yeah you know i um i was pretty spoiled coming up i didn't realize it and it didn't feel like it at the time but my whole background in fine dining restaurants in the michigan area that's all we did was shane de rotisserie dinners and and really high-end escoffier wine dinners and things like that so we would have you know, Vouf Clicquot come in and, and, you know, actually do seminars and we would pair the wines with food. And, you know, I learned early on, you know, it's, it's, those evenings are about the wine. The food is a support to the wine. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, they don't know the rules. You know, they, they have the asparagus and the artichokes and things that just kill the experience and, and, you know, some acidic vegetables and things like that that just kill the wine. But, you know, my, my, my whole role is just to support that wine. So if you have something that's delicate and fruity, you're not putting something big with it that buries it. So my goal is to have the winemaker walk out of those dinners looking like a superstar. Um, and, and I think with that approach, um, you know, I think you find a lot of success because you, you, don't, you don't try to overpower it. So I'm not using smoke. I'm not using things to alter the flavor of the wine so there's not a lot of pepper. There's no smoke. The acidity is kept low. Things like that. I'll let the acidity of the wine help cleanse the palate of the food. 
you know, things like that. So when we're looking at that complexity, it's everything right down to the soil that the grapes are, are, are uh, you know, if, if, if that's an earthy flavor, I'm, I'm tying mushrooms to it. So, you know, and that's really what helps support that, that the great complexity of, of the wines that we have. What are you drinking right now? You know, I, uh, I'm that guy that just likes crazy different stuff. You know, I, I have always gone to the sommelier of where I've worked and just said, you know, find me that $12 bottle that's the diamond in the rough. I, I, you know, I certainly, you know, when I have the occasion to drink the Opus and things like that, I'd be into that. But, you know, I like, I like stuff from all around the world, Spanish wines. I love that slate flavor to them, um, different, different wines like that. So. so let's talk the football thing. What was it like for you and Mike playing for the Bears? <laughs> You know, I, I got a funny story because uh, who, who was the owner of the Bears? Michael McCaskey. Okay. He was in the dining room with a, with a family a family and friends of eight people, and they, they were getting me. They knew about me coming in, but I was new to the club. So they wanted to know who – I didn't know who they were. And he wanted to know who, you know, who's your favorite football team. Well, I'm sorry to say I'm a Detroiter, so I have to root for the Lions. <laughs> so they got the biggest kick out of that because at that time it was quite the rivalry. But, yeah, yeah so it was a funny, funny deal there. I bet the two of you have some pretty – Fun stories from those days at Medina. Oh, we had a lot of fun. But you can hear the brilliance yeah. of what we have to do here and what he deals with. I mean, you got to remember, we're both resort and residential. And uh, that's why I was drawn to this opportunity. But, uh, yeah, we've, we've some stories I can't even share on the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot of great stories with these guys. And we enjoyed spending time at Reynolds Lake Oconee. With so many things to do at this resort, from the golf and boating, the sporting club, or just... A nice walk through the Georgia lake country, these rolling hills, the pine trees. It is absolutely amazing. The wine selection, as we highlighted in volume one here, is incredible. So many options at Reynolds Lake Oconee. want to thank GM Mike Scully, certified master chef Darren Moore for taking time to share the experience. And thank you for downloading Vintage more from the southeast as we travel to the Destin Wine Auction and then back to the West Coast, Napa Valley, and Oregon in upcoming episodes. Vintage is a presentation of Feedback Media. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.